Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Michael the Archangel giving me a powerful revelation of what my name meant in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew name, Kalev, and I looked it up and it meant dog in Hebrew. Um, sorry. Um, but I scrolled down a little bit and it also means loyal. So there you go. Um, so you have, you have two, two dogs preaching to you tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Happy to be here, Brother Herring. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, verse 17. Just one um, passage of Scripture. The vision of, of passing the mantle is to pass the mantle of apostolic identity to the next generation. And I believe my task here tonight is to speak to the next generation of apostolics and to um, just impart something and to speak something into you. The message is for the whole church, but especially this next generation of apostolic young people. John chapter 17, verse number 17. Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Tonight, I simply want to preach sanctified by truth. Sanctified by truth. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your glorious presence and your peace. It's here tonight, Lord Jesus. We pray, God, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, God, to understand your word, Lord Jesus. Let the spirit of revelation come tonight, Lord God. Let your word come alive in our hearts, Jesus, God. Open our hearts to the truth of your gospel message, Jesus, and these truths we find in your word, God. Let it speak to us. Let it change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. The oneness Pentecostal movement, the apostolic movement, started from one doctrinal claim. It started from one idea, one piece of doctrine that these framers saw in the Bible. There was a, a camp meeting in 1913, and a group of Pentecostals gathered, and the oneness movement was not around yet. They were still just the first Pentecostals, and there was um, a powerful, powerful service, and it was pros- prophesied that at this meeting, 
that God was going to do a new thing, that God was going to speak a new thing. And as the camp meeting went on, a preacher by the name of R.E. McAllister was preaching on baptism. It was a baptismal service. They were going to preach and then about baptism and just see what the Lord will do in people's hearts to be baptized. And he was preaching. And the early Pentecostals, their one desire was to go back to the book of Acts church. That's what drove every single thing about the Pentecostal movement was going back to the book of Acts. If we practice it, if we believed it in the church today, but it wasn't in the book of Acts, why are we practicing that? Because that was the church that Jesus set up through his apostles. And so this man, he's, he's preaching just about, about baptism, just, just going at it, just preaching. And at that time, people were baptizing people in triple immersion, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost. And so he was, he was speaking to this. You know, you know we, today we baptize people three times, you know, one for each person of the Godhead. But, and then he was just, he wasn't making a, a truth claim. He was just simply observing the book of Acts. And he said, but the apostles, they originally just baptized once in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he said that, a hush went across the camp meeting. There was an audible when he said that. Because every Pentecostal, their, their impulse, their desires to go back to the book of Acts, church. And when he said that the original apostles all baptized in the name of Jesus, a hush went over the camp meeting realizing that we don't necessarily baptize in the name of Jesus. Why did the apostles baptize in the name of Jesus? But we do not baptize in the name of Jesus. He made one claim from Scripture. One, if you will, intellectual claim. Just in his mind he saw in the text that the apostles originally baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that night... There was a man by the name of John Sheppey who, who this, this irked his soul, this, this message, this idea that the apostles baptized in the name of Jesus and not in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why is this? And it just began to irk his soul and irk his heart, this idea. And he, all night after that, he was praying and just seeking God. He'd opened up the text. He opened up his Bible. He began praying and asking God, Lord, what does this mean? What does it mean that they baptize your name? Why would they do that, Lord? What does it mean? He was praying and just seeking God and calling down heaven into his room and just praying and seeking the Lord. And finally, the revelation came. That the apostles baptized the name Jesus because Jesus is God. He is the almighty God. And that night, after John Sheppey got this revelation from the Lord, he ran throughout the camp proclaiming it and praising it. We've got to baptize in Jesus' name. Woke everybody up saying, we've got to baptize in Jesus' name. He got the revelation of the name of Jesus' baptism. 
And I want to submit just this idea that this truth started in the mind of R.E. McAllister. This truth, this Bible truth, this Bible doctrine started in the mind. And then John Sheppey began to pray. It began to move down his whole body until it got into his heart and the spirit of revelation changed his heart and he started to proclaim we've got to do this it wasn't just an intellectual claim it wasn't just he knew the scriptures but it came down into his heart and nothing could stop him from proclaiming he ran throughout the whole camp proclaiming this Jesus said in John chapter 17 sanctify them by your truth sanctify it's the same word that has to do with holiness. Speaking of, of changing the heart, purifying the heart, becoming more like Jesus. Sanctify by your truth. And what the truth of the word of God does is that it starts in the mind. You read the scripture, you hear the teaching, you read the books about the truth, the apostolic truth. But it does not stay in the mind. That's not where the sanctification happens. But when it's mixed with faith, when it's mixed with prayer, when it's mixed with going after God, it starts to move into your heart. And the truth, the apostolic truth begins to sanctify you. It begins to wash you. It begins to make you new. It begins to change your heart. It begins to change your heart after you give it to the Spirit and pray about it and get the Spirit of revelation sanctified by truth I see in the apostolic movement there's three truths there's three doctrines that distinguished us And these doctrines not only make us different from the world, but they make us different from the rest of Christianity. Because Christian groups throughout history have disagreed on certain theologies. Calvinism, Arminianism, the Eucharist, communion, all these things. They've, they've disagreed and they've fought wars over these things. People have died over these things, over these doctrinal claims. But for the most part, they can agree on, on a couple of different things, but there's just some you know, disagreement that they agree to disagree. But what distinguishes us as oneness apostolics are three things that there can be no disagreement about. Because they're the most foundational things to what we believe. It's what we believe about God. Who is God? How do we pray to Him? Who is He? Who is Jesus? Many Christian groups, you know what they would tell you. One God, three distinct persons. Most of Christianity would say that. But we diverge on this point. We say, no. God is one. With no distinction of persons. God is one. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one Lord. So we, we disagree about the very nature of who God is. We cannot have agreement. We can have fellowship, but we cannot sign any sort of statement that does not claim this. It is a truth claim. It's a doctrinal claim. And it distinguishes us. Who God is. The second thing is how we're saved. How we're saved. Most churches, you may go to, they may preach the gospel. They don't respond like how Peter preached it for the first time. The apostolic church, we disagree because we can do nothing but follow what the apostles taught. When Peter said, the people listening, they were cut to the heart. The conviction of the power of preaching convicted their heart. They said, what should we do about this? He said, repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, as one this apostolics, we disagree, and that's okay. But we stand on the word of God. And then, the third thing is how we should live because of the salvation. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Look throughout church history, nothing good ever happened when the church started to look more like the world and started to want to be more like the world. But as oneness apostolics, you can distinguish us anywhere we go. You know there's something different about those people from the outside and the inside. From the outside and the inside. In the apostolic movement, we teach a life change. Come as you are. But don't leave the same way you came. The Holy Spirit convicts and it pushes and it propels. The Spirit moves on a heart to change. God moves on the heart to change. And so the apostolic church, we preach holiness and that be ye holy for I am holy. We want to reflect God's image of holiness. We want to reflect his image of holiness. And so, these are three truths, apostolic doctrine that we find in the Word of God. Who God is, how we're saved, how we should live. And these truths, they start in the mind. You're taught them from a pulpit in a classroom setting. And your mind is filled with these truths. But where does the sanctification come? When you're alone in your room, like that man at the camp meeting who had the revelation, and you start delving into the mysteries. You start delving into the truths. You start praying about them. God, you are Lord. You are the mighty God in Christ. Oh, Jesus, you've saved me. I repented of my sins, Lord. My sins were washed away in the water. What does that mean? 
What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit living inside of me? What does it mean to live a life of holiness? God, teach me. Be my teacher, God. Move on my spirit, God. Help me to understand these mysteries, Lord Jesus. Help me to understand these truths. Because they start in the mind. And when they're mixed with faith and with prayer, they start to take over your whole being. You start to be sanctified by the truth. You start to be washed by the truth. The truth starts to wash your whole spirit. And sadly, I fear that those who have walked away from this apostolic truth, they left it in the mind. They left it in the mind. They didn't pray about it. The point of the Word of God is not to gain knowledge. That will happen, but invites us into God, into relationship, into communion, into fellowship with Him. It's his word. It's him speaking to us. It's him speaking to our hearts. And I fear that those that walked away didn't let the word speak to their heart. It stopped in the mind. They didn't let it change them from the inside out. They did it because the parents did it. They might have done it because their friends did it. But they didn't get it inside their heart. It didn't get inside their heart. Young people, the next generation of apostolics, let this truth get in your heart. Start to pray about it. Start to go after God about it. Seek God about it. Oh, God, teach us, God. Let it get inside your hearts. Because you can't just walk by the fire of apostolic truth. You can't just walk by the, by the fire and feel its heat for a second. You've got to go and you've got to sit by it. You've got to let it fill your soul, its warmth. Delve into the warmth. Feel it. Feel God's spirit moving upon your heart in prayers and in worship and fastings and study of the word of God. Let it warm your soul. Don't just walk by it. Sit by the fire and let it warm your soul. Let the truth sanctify you. Let the truth sanctify you. Let it wash you. Let it make you more like Jesus. Let it sanctify you. Let it make you holy. We're sanctified by his truth. began to study these truths. God moved it on my heart that I needed to teach these truths when I was 19 years old. Because I felt a need in our movement to teach the next generation the apostolic truth what was handed down to us from the apostles. God moved on my heart to teach these things. So I began to pour myself into them. And in the mind, I learned about salvation. I was taught the book of Romans. Justification, propitiation, atonement, substitution, satisfaction, redemption. I learned these things in my mind. But they, they helped me understand it to a certain extent. But then... 
took them to prayer. He said, Lord, show me what it means to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Then my soul was in slavery to sin and to the devil. And then you came and you set me free. You led a victorious. I began to study what it means for him to be our propitiation, our substitution. That it was my place on the cross. He took my place. I deserve to be hanging on the cross because of sin. The wages of sin or death. I began to see Jesus on the cross. He took my place. And then the word came down in my soul and I began to understand what it meant. I began to understand this truth. And then I was brought back to when I got the Holy Ghost when I was six. In my response of faith. Because Jesus did the work. And we respond in faith. We respond in faith to his gospel. I responded in faith when I was six and I was filled with the Spirit. I responded in faith when I was eight. My sins were washed away. And it wasn't until later I got the revelation of repentance that I needed to do it every day. Sanctification, the life of holiness, it started in my mind. I learned about the laws of Leviticus, the holiness codes, rituals, and purity laws. I learned about this. I read it. I began to learn about the scriptures that talk about holiness. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. In all of your conduct, as it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I had it in my mind. I need to be holy. I didn't understand it. It wasn't in my heart. I began to pray. God, help me understand this. What does it mean to be holy? How can I be holy? How can I reflect your image? I began to try to be holy. I began to try with my own effort. I felt like I was never getting anywhere. I could never attain to the perfection, the moral standard that God had set. The purity that is God, because he is holy. And I felt I can never reach that. God, I cannot reach your level of holiness. I feel like I could never get there. And I would try harder. I would just try harder, but nothing was working. And then I began to seek the Lord in prayer. The Lord led me to Romans chapter 7. In chapter 8, Paul says, chapter 7, I do what I hate. The good that I want to do, I cannot do. I began to wrestle with this. And I read his text when he said, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I turned the page to Romans chapter 8. But it said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We began to see that freedom from the law of sin comes from the law of the Spirit. I gave up trying harder and I gave in to the Spirit. 
I let the Spirit work through me to live a holy life. God began to work through me. The Spirit empowered me to live a holy life. You cannot just try harder. You've got to give in to the Spirit. Open up your soul. Yield to the Spirit and let Him work on you. Let Him work on you. It'll give you the power to live holy. It's like a bird flying. There's always the law of gravity when a bird flies. But there's also the law of aerodynamics. And when it trusts in that law and it takes the step of faith, it soars up to the heavens. And the law of sin will always be there. But when you trust in the law of the Spirit, you can soar. You can fly. You can live like Jesus called you to live. And it began to get down in my soul. I began to be sanctified by the truth. And then finally, the oneness came in my mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. I would read this. I learned it in Hebrew. I began to try to memorize what the Jews would memorize because I wanted to know God is one Lord. Then, Colossians 2.9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I began to learn these texts, pour myself into these truths. And then 1 Timothy 3.16, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. These truths came in my mind. And then I didn't fully understand them. God, how could you be man? How could God be man? How is this? I had questions. Read the Bible. I had questions. And as a side note, God is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your questions. Begin to read the scriptures. Try to understand what this means that God is one. And then, in a moment of prayer, the spirit of revelation came upon me when Paul said, Great is the mystery of godliness. Not that God is one in three persons that God was manifest in the flesh. It's a mystery. But a mystery in the Bible is not something that you can't know. It's something that's revealed over time. Paul said, now behold, I show you a mystery of the things that are going to come. Great is the mystery of godliness. Because God is not just going to give this truth to just anybody. He'll give you the scripture and you can understand it intellectually. But when you mix it with faith with prayers. You go to God and try to understand this truth begins to get into your heart and it begins to sanctify you. Now begin to understand that if God became man then Jesus was God. And if God was man then God understands man. He understands our plight. What we wrestle with he understands because he was man. And now we can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy in the time of need because he understands. The revelation came that even Jesus, 
He suffered and he cried when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. And so in the same way, because our Lord was man, he understands our weaknesses and we can come to our God in prayer because he's been there. He's been there. Because when the revelation, it starts in the mind and then it moves into the heart and it sanctifies you. If the music would like to come. I opened up talking a little bit about the beginning of the oneness movement. And there's a man in the early oneness movement named Garfield Thomas Haywood, G.T. Haywood. He was brilliant. He's a theologian. He wrote about the oneness of the Godhead, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He's one of the early writers of our doctrine. And, but not, he wasn't just a theologian, but he was a man of faith and prayer, and his heart was overcome by the glories of God. And one night, he was praying for hours. He was wrestling in prayer. Who knows what he was praying about? But he was seeking God in prayer. He was seeking God in prayer. Then he came out of that prayer meeting with the song that God had given him. The song says, when gloom and sadness whisper, you've sinned, no use to pray. I look away to Jesus and he tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood and it flows from Calvary and its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me You see, because he was a man of theology and doctrine, but when he went to prayer, it moved from his mind to his heart, and he saw the crimson stream of blood washing over him and his sins being washed away by the power of the blood. And when we pour ourselves into these truths and to this doctrine, it begins to wash over us. It begins to sanctify us. It begins to change our heart. And we're made new again. The one thing I fear about the next generation of apostolics is that we run and we jump into the hype of the music, into the beat of the music. And this is all good, and I will do it. But when it's mixed with truth, when it's mixed with the apostolic doctrine, oh, God starts to begin to move on your soul. 
God starts to begin to move on your soul and you begin to jump. You begin to dance. You begin to shout. And it's not just because of the beat of the music or because everybody else is doing it, but you know who your God is. You know who you worship. You know what he's done for you. He gave me a reason to dance. He gave me a reason to dance. What did he do? He died for me. What did he do? He died for me. And so I have a reason to dance. He pulled me from the grave. I ran out of that grave. What a glorious day. When I think about it, it's because I know what he's done. I've sought him in prayer about this truth. So young people, the next generation of apostolics, pour yourself into the truth. Know the truth. Study it. Learn about it. Read about it. Pray about it. And let it sanctify your soul. Because we're sanctified by truth. Let's all stand in this house. Oh, would you worship the God that you know right now? Content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.